there is so much more. Uh, like I, I recommended, again, uh, Ellen White, Steps to Christ. That's all about righteousness by faith. She has a book on sanctification. Uh, she talks a lot about Daniel and about um, Joseph and all these characters that exemplified sanctification. So there's a, a lot of other materials out there. A lot of the, I found a lot of the devotional books that have been put together reflecting Christ, uh, the faith I live by, and all these things. There's a lot of section about uh, righteousness by faith, and, and it's just uh, such great resources and material. And uh, yeah, I recommend that you, know, you start with these sources, you start with the Bible, and you start with the spirit of prophecy. And with these two, you have enough to have a complete and full understanding of righteousness by faith, as much as it has been declared anyways by God. And then if you wish, you can venture and you know, look at other resources, uh, but these resources uh, are more than sufficient uh, for us. And so uh, as we begin our, our, our third session, uh, this is, um, we'll start with something a, a little more, uh, not necessarily complex, but something a little more controversial in the church. And uh, before we get there, we'll definitely pray and do a little bit of review. And then I, I was recommended to go through the justification, sanctification part again. So we'll go through that to make sure that it's cemented in our mind. All right? So let's pray. Lord, we come one last time in this seminar to you, Lord, to ask for your strength, for your help, Lord, so that we can be fully aware and fully focused, Lord. We pray and ask also for your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. We need this character in our life and we need to exemplify it in our uh, every words and thoughts and actions. And Lord, we also ask for your Holy Spirit. Only Him can guide us and strengthen us, Lord. We also ask for your grace that we may exemplify, Lord, the example that Christ has left for us. And Lord, we ask that you be with us and we thank you for having been so good to us so far, and we thank you for the blessings that are you're still waiting to bestow upon us. If we've sinned, Lord, we ask for forgiveness, and we ask for strength to be overcomers and obedient children. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's do a, a quick review, and then we'll, we'll do another review. So here's what we've established so far. So if you were not there in the previous sessions, this is the things we've established biblically and through the spirit of prophecy. And so you will understand and know how we got to where we are. Uh, and like many uh, doctrines of the Bible, uh, you have to build up to get to a full understanding. And oftentimes we make uh, people and, and us, and we all make mistakes when we take one verse and that becomes a doctrine, right? We have to look at the ensemble of um, the Bible uh, teaching on, on one topic to get a full and complete and proper understanding. So righteousness by faith can consist of so many different little aspects and they need to be all put together for us to properly understand it. So here's a, a quick rundown of what we've learned so far. Righteousness is the character of God. Righteousness is a standard of all character and the standard of righteousness is the law. The law is a transcript of God's character. That makes sense. Jesus is the example of righteousness. The law is righteous, but keeping the law cannot make us righteous. In fact, keeping the law is only good when I keep it. It cannot uh, help me make up, because when we fall in short of the glory or the character of God, we become in debt. 
All my righteousness is gone, according to Ezekiel, with one fall. It is impossible for me, according to Romans, to keep the law and to please God. Only the law can determine what sin is. When there is no law, there is no sin. The wages of sin is death. And the law shows me my need for righteousness and for Christ. The righteousness of God is by faith and not by the law. Faith is not blind and it's not a feeling. Faith is knowing, believing, and acting upon the Word of God. Grace is the great element of saving power of God. It's a gift and it's an unmerited favor, uh, but it, uh, grace... The gr the grace's power was demonstrated in the sacrifice of Christ. Grace can save, transform, and sustain us. And grace is only accessible through faith. Justification is righteousness that is imputed. God forgives those that repent and confess their sins. God makes us righteous by imputing to us the righteousness of Christ. We'll review that in a moment. Sanctification is imparted righteousness. Sanctification is the will of God for our lives. Sanctification is a lifetime of obedience by the power of grace, but grace is never a substitute for our efforts. Okay, so <clears throat> I had a question earlier and I completely blanked out and somebody asked me what's imparted and that was okay. So we'll, we'll talk about these now, but I just want to review what justification by faith is, what sanctification by faith is, what is imputed, and what is imparted. And we'll try to make that simple and clear. So please pray for me that I do that because I really can't do that on my own. Justification by faith, in simple term, is forgiveness. When we are justified, uh, justified means that we are made righteous. For God to make me righteous, He first forgives me my sin, cleanses me from my sin, and then He imputes to me the righteousness of Christ. The word imputes means to credit. So let's say you don't have any money in your account, and I am a creditor, and I give you credit, and I put it in your account. Okay? Now, who are you thankful for for your credit? Me. Because I'm the creditor, right? Or the bank. Maybe I should use the bank so it doesn't look like you're, ha you're think thanking me. But. Um, so you're thankful because it comes from the bank. You, you, you didn't have it. There was nothing you could do. It had to be given to you, right? But now that it's in your account, whose credit is it? It's yours, right? So now you're n no longer dirt poor. You're, you have money, right? The same thing with righteousness, with justification, you're a sinner and you have nothing. Christ, God comes, forgives your sin, wipes your debt away, gives you the righteousness, imputes it. It means he credits it to your account. He gives it to you. He charges you with it. So now you have the righteousness of Christ. It's now your righteousness. You own it. You're righteous. Amen? Is that clear? Okay. Now the sanctification part because... Once you have it, then what? Right? There's a gospel out there that they preach that all you, they, they say they preach righteousness by faith. And the idea of by faith, obviously, okay, let's, let's backtrack. Okay, righteousness is the character of God. Amen? Right? And by faith is basically you, you hear, you understand, you believe, and you act upon the word of God. So when you get justification by faith is you, 
get the character of God by believing that God has given you that word and you act upon that word that he's giving you his character so that now you are righteous like he is and you're righteous. Okay? I didn't confuse anyone? Excellent. So there is a gospel out there that preaches, they say they preach justification by faith alone, but really what they're preaching is justification alone by faith and there is no sanctification. So the gospel basically says, their gospel basically says that all you need is forgiveness every day, continually, forever, until Jesus comes. So what does that mean? That means you will always sin and always ask for forgiveness. You will never have victory. You will never be able to obey. And you will be a sinner until Jesus comes. But I think we've seen enough texts to see that that is not sound teaching, that is not biblical, and that's definitely not in line with the spirit of prophecy. So now the second part that we've looked at is sanctification, to be sanctified by faith. Sanctification basically is obedience to the will and the word of God by faith. So God tells you, this is my will for your life, and by faith I obey, and I get the power of grace to do that very work. Because I can't do it on my own strength, but I still have to put my strength and my effort because grace does not substitute or does not take the place of my effort. So I still have to put out my effort, and when my effort fails, God gives us grace so that I can carry through what I was attempting to do. So it's, it's a work of cooperation, right? That's why we hold on to the divine nature Who's going to hold on? The divine nature is not going to come to us. We have to get hold of it. So there's a work for us to do. So it's a work of cooperation. Yes. You, you need to be justified in order to be sanctified. Okay, yeah, it has to start somewhere. But obedience is part of both. Right? Because uh, the Bible tells us that God justifies or makes righteous the obedient. Because when you repent from your sin, what do you start doing? You start obeying God. Right? And repentance is a prerequisite in order to obtain forgiveness because God does not forgive sins that are not confessed and repented of. All right? So now, in sanctification, sanctification means to be set aside for a good work. The good work is to represent the character of God and to obey, to live a life of obedience. It takes a lifetime to do it, and every day we have to obey. We have to make these choices. We have to hold on to the uh, nature, the divine nature at all time. Now, when the word imputed meant that God gives it to you and credits it, the word impart means share. So we share in the righteousness of Christ. That's why we work together. So he gives you his character. He gives you his righteousness. It's yours. But Christ also has his character and his righteousness. And now we work together. We share in this righteousness, in this character, and we work together in cooperation to live a life of obedience. Okay, that's sanctification. Justification happens a moment because when God forgives, it's done. And then sanctification is a lifetime of obedience step by step according to the light that we've received. Now we're going to look... A little bit more in more details, we're going to talk about perfection, okay? Now, for the record, perfection is not perfectionism, okay? 
when we speak of perfection, we do not speak of perfection of nature or of the flesh. Okay, that is impossible. We speak of perfection of character. And we're going to look at what a character is. And I'm be being very, uh, I'm emphasizing this to make sure that there's no confusion. Same way when I speak of obedience, I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. I can't be perfect on my own. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Yes, brother. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of uh, repentance. If you go to Mark, if you have your Bible, Mark 16, 16, I want to show this to everyone. You can, but you can still repent, and you can still um, come to, to Christ, come to God for forgiveness and all these things, and you don't necessarily have to be baptized to do that, right? But here, here it is in Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not, did you notice it doesn't say and is not baptized? Right? Shall be damned. The idea that I'm trying to convey here is baptism, okay, is a result of faith. Right? Remember we talked about faith is hearing the word of God, believing it, and acting upon it. The baptism part is the acting upon it, right? So you believe the word of God, you believe that you will be saved, you believe that, um, you know, you want to dedicate your life, and because you have faith in that, then you act out that faith, and that's baptism, right? That's where baptism comes in. So uh, <clears throat> it's very important, and that's why in the next part it says, he that doesn't believe, is them. It doesn't even talk about baptism because you, you, you cannot be baptized if you don't believe. It doesn't make sense, right? Baptism is a fruit. And that's why sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate. We, um, I've seen that in, in many places, many churches doing mission trip and places. You know, we take our, take our children and, hey, you got to be baptized because, you know, you got to be baptized. You're of age, but they don't believe. They don't understand. They don't know. They can't carry through. They don't comprehend. So that baptism, unfortunately, is, is meaningless. Right? That baptism is supposed to be a fruit of your conviction of the saving power of God. So, and, uh, and yes, in a way it comes as a, I guess you could, you could probably say that it can come as, a, as part of the justification part, right? as a fruit of it. I would have to think this through, but I, I do believe that could make definitely good sense. All right, let's go on to perfection. That's in the Bible. Well, justification ought to happen just once, right? That's the, that's the idea and the standard of God. I'm forgiving you, you're justified, so now go on into sanctification, into obedience, into perfection. But it does happen that we fall. So when we fall, what do we have to do? Well, we have to go repent, we have to go confess, we need God to cleanse us, to you know, make us righteous again so we can... Start over. So no, it's not necessarily a one-time thing, but it should be. Right? So I don't want us to get the idea that we can like abuse justification. That's not God's ideal for us to always go on our knees and be asking for forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Right? God doesn't want us to be continually falling. He wants us to be walking straight. Right? Just like when you have a child. You have this little baby and he's attempting to walk. You don't want him to be falling for the rest of his life. 
You want him to be able to stand up on his two feet and walk straight. It's the same thing with God with us. Amen? So that's what, that's, does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. So <clears throat> God wants us to, to live a life of victory, of overcomer, because you know what? That glorifies him. We're going to talk about that. So now let's go on to perfection. Like I was saying, we're talking about perfection of character. Your nature, we are sinful, okay? Which means we have tendency and bend towards sinning. We were born with it. We had no choice. We got it because Adam fell. And because of that, we have these tendencies and those, those pulling towards sin. And, and there's really nothing we can do about it. And we can't even resist this unless we have the power of God. That's why grace can't, comes in. Now, <clears throat> that nature in itself is not a sin. It's not a choice that you make to obey or to disobey God. It's just there, right? You didn't ask for it. The same way when Adam was created, he had a sinless nature. He didn't have these pulls, right? He didn't ask for it either, but his choices determine his character. The same way that our choices determine our character, not our nature. Our nature does not determine if we'll be lost or safe. And we cannot also fall back on our nature and say, well, it's because I'm like this. Right? Can't do that. It's our choices. And we have a choice to depend on the power of God. And because of the power of God, there is no excuse, really. Amen? So, my life today. Uh, Adam and Eve dare to transgress the Lord's requirement and the terrible result of their sin should be a warning to us not to follow their example of disobedience. This is page 250. There is no genuine sanctification except through obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth is genuine sanctification. Whatever his profession may be, he is not justified, which means pardon. And uh, that has to do with the man that is condemned by the law and under the bondage of uh, the yoke of bondage. So it doesn't matter if somebody says, I am justified. If his work doesn't show, it means nothing. He can say whatever he wants. He can say, I, you can say, I am saved. And if you continue in sin, it means nothing. Right? But the point is that she says that ju justified justification means pardon. Uh, continuing on, she goes on saying, the law of the Lord is perfect, convert converting the soul. Through obedience comes sanctification of body, soul, and spirit. This sanctification is a progressive work and an advance from one stage of perfection to another. Oh, that's going to be very important for us to understand. Perfection is not a place that you attain. Just keep that in mind. Uh, let a living faith run like threads of gold through the performance of even the smallest duties. Then all the, work, the daily work will promote Christian growth. There will be a continual looking unto Jesus. Love for him will give vital force to everything that is undertaken. Thus, through the right use of our talents, we may link ourselves by a golden chain to the higher world. This is true sanctification. For sanctification consists in the cheerful performance of daily duties in perfect obedience to the will of God. Yes, that includes doing the dishes, right? Because your parents want you to do the dishes and you want to honor your parents and you do it cheerfully because it honors them and it honors God, right? That's why it's, it talks about daily duties as well as getting up in the morning and doing your devotion and spending time in prayer and going to prayer meeting 
and being on time on Sabbath school, right, and, and, and uh, you know, going to the door-to-door in the afternoon, and, you know, all these things that we're supposed to do that we don't want to do, well, we ought to be doing them. I just had to say it. Uh, finally, she says, when it is in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's best service, and he makes up for the deficiency of his own divine, with his own divine merit. And this is what I was talking about. You put your effort until the end, and when your effort falls short, then he makes up for the deficiency so that you can get there and you can obey fully and completely. Hebrews 6.1 says, it says, Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And, and this relay a little bit to the question you were asking, should we always be looking for repentance and confession? No. Paul clearly tells us in Hebrews that we should go on to perfection and stop laying the foundation over and over again. That's not the goal. Justification is the foundation of the work of righteousness by faith. But it is not the continual thing. The continual thing is for us to be sanctified and to obey. Yes, sister. Yes, you, you, you come and you ask your forgiveness and you believe that God forgives you and he justifies you and he sanctifies you and you go on. You have to go back to that. And as you, but see, that's the thing. Because as you go in your life, God will start bringing you to remembrance things that you've been doing in the past. It's like, oh, man, I lied to my grandma when I was six years old. That was a terrible <laughs> lie. Right? I, it, I know it hurt her and everything. And well, now I have to do something about it. I can't just let it go. I have to ask for forgiveness. I have to go to my grandma. Grandma, I, I, didn't, I didn't know better. And I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I hurt you. And, and you, you amend, you, you do what you need to do, and then you go on. So there will continually be a, a role for repentance until, until we've basically done everything. And the, the, the Bible speaks that in the end time, those that will be sealed of God, they'll be looking for their sins to ask for forgiveness for. That's in the great controversy, and, and they won't be able to find them anymore because they'll have gone through the whole process, and God will have cleansed, and they'll be cleansed, right? And that's what the people, like I said earlier, during the Day of Atonement, that's their goal. During the investigative judgment, that's the goal, to get us cleansed from all unrighteousness so that we may be worthy and we may, God may look at us and say, yeah, you're safe to get to heaven. So that Christ can say, yeah, I can bring you to heaven. I can come back. So we're not to lay the, the foundation of repentance over. It doesn't mean that we do, never do repentance again, but we're not doing it to be justified every single time. Right? That's not the goal. The goal is to live obediently. Steps to Christ, page 18. The idea that it is necessary only to develop the good that exists in man by nature is a fatal deception. And this is a great, great thing. Because there are uh, some people out there that tells us that just do the best you can. Just, just you know, you're, you're, you're okay, you're a good person, just continue doing that. That is a fatal deception. We got to rise above whatever we are because we are not much, right? We're glorified dust and that's just by the glory of God and the grace of God. But we need to rise higher than who we are. That's why we have to behold Christ, not behold man in the world. Uh, <clears throat> it says in 1 Peter 5.10 that the God of all grace 
who had called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Who's the one who makes us perfect? God. Who am I to tell somebody that you can't be perfect if the Bible tells me that God makes you perfect and makes me perfect? Okay, so perfection is definitely something that is feasible. And now my favorite text, Matthew 5, 48. And we'll expound that and then everything will start making so much sense. Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that, is, uh, that sounds like a very, very tall order. Counsel to parents, teacher, and student commenting on this, on this passage. She says, God's ideal for his children is higher than the highest human thought can reach. The living God has given in his holy law a transcript of his character. As God is, well, let me finish. The great teacher the world has ever known in Jesus Christ. And what is the standard he has given to all who believe in him? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. As God is perfect, in his high sphere of action, so men may be perfect in his human sphere. The ideal of Christian character is Christ-likeness. There is open before us a path of continual advancement. We have an object to reach, a standard to gain, we, which include everything good and pure and noble and elevated. There should be a continual striving and constant progress onward and upward toward perfection of character. Now, <clears throat> it's important again, and I'm, I'm going to stress it, that when we speak of perfection is of character because we have no control over our nature and there's nothing that we can do about it. We will remain sinful until Jesus comes. That's not a sin. You're not a sinner because of your nature, because of your bent, and because you're pulled. You're not. People will tell you the opposite, but that's not true. Because if that were true, and Jesus forgives your sin, then Jesus would forgive your nature. And if he could forgive your nature, then he would change you. Then you wouldn't have these men. But we know that's not reality, and that's not biblical, and that's not in the spirit of prophecy. So, we are looking to develop our character to be Christ-like. And we want to do that until perfection. And that's why Christ says to be perfect like God. Now, it doesn't mean that we can be God. God is God, He's divine, but all He does, He do it perfectly in His divinity. The same way that all we do, we have to do it perfectly in our humanity. And that's what Christ came to earth to do, to show that humans can be perfect in obeying the law and in following the will of God. Yeah. <clears throat> Desire of ages. She also speaks of this. She says, God's ideal for his children is higher than the highest human thought can reach. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This command is what? A promise. So you're not just commanded to be perfect. You're promised that you can be. Amen. Right? And all of God's promises are enable, enabling. Is that correct? Yes, is bidding or enabling. So when he says something, there's power behind it to do it, right? That's what she says. 
Um, the plan of redemption contemplates our complete recovery from the power of Satan. Christ always separates the contrite soul from sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil and he has made provision that the Holy Spirit shall be imparted to every repentant soul to keep him from what? Sinning. Okay? Sinning is not an option. It's a failure from holding on to the Holy Spirit. There is provision that has been made for us not to sin. It's clear in the spirit of prophecy and scripture. Now, this is what I was trying to say. Gospel worker, uh, uh, 92363. The command, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, would never have been given if every provision had not been made whereby we could obey the requirement. Be as perfect in our sphere our God, as God is in His. Jesus would have never said that unless all provision, all power, all grace, all strength was not available for us to carry this command through. So when Jesus says, be ye perfect, I can be perfect. In character, of course, in my sphere, in my humanity, but I can't. So now let's talk about <clears throat> legalism. I'm sure you've heard this word. Legalism. Oh, you believe in perfection. You're a legalist. Really? That, really? Is that what it means? Now, <clears throat> let's talk about what legalism is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the idea behind uh, a, a lot of the uh, preachers of legalism is that we are trying to obey for the purpose of being righteous. Therefore, we are working out our, our, our own uh, self-righteousness and it's all by work and it's not by faith and it's not by the power of God. Now, we've already established that that was impossible, correct? If you've been here for the past couple of, of um, presentations, we've seen that it's impossible. We can't be righteous no matter how much effort we make. Yet, we're called to obey and to be perfect. We need the strength, the grace, uh, of Christ, we need His atonement, we need justification, we need sanctification, we need faith, and none of that can be produced by a human being. It all comes from God. Amen? So all these are, okay, so our striving to perfect obedience is never to gain righteousness. It's because we love God. And uh, I've never heard somebody say that love for God is legalism. Because it's not. It's just a natural response. So now let me tell you what true legalism is, okay? Because it's, there's a guard put over legalism to try to put it toward people, and that's not legalism at all. Because legalism is trying to um, become righteous by my work. <clears throat> uh, true legalism is saying you cannot be perfect, so just do your best. That's true legalism. Because to be perfect, what do I need? I need God. I can't do it on my own strength. But to do my best, do I need God for that? I, I don't need God to be a little better than I am. I don't need God to, to do a little more. The idea behind it is, okay, I can't be perfect. The law of God is too hard. It's too, too elevated. It's, it's too much. I can't do it. So let me lower the standard to somewhere where I can comfortably 
attain it on my own strength, without too much effort, without too much dependence of, on God, and uh, that's my life. That's how I'm going to live. I'm not going to strive for perfection because that's impossible. That's too much. That's too far. So let's lower the standard. That's legalism. That's legalism because you're depending on your own strength and you're not depending on God. You're not depending on His grace. You're not depending on His power. <clears throat> At the end of the day, perfection of character is giving glory to God because it's only through God that we can do it. Imperfection of character, which is what other people are, uh, have been preaching and are still preaching, is giving glory to man because it's not getting any higher than sinful and worldly man. That is pure legalism. That is what legalism truly is. Did you have a question or you're just... Okay. <laughs> so does that, does that make sense? Is it clear what I just said? Okay, so I got four people there, nobody there. Did you guys, it's okay if you didn't understand, I'll, tr I'll do it again. We have time and this is super important, okay? When we try to attain perfection of character is not legalism because we have to depend on God. When I don't try to attain the power of, the, to attain perfection, that means I don't need the power of God and I don't use the power of God. That means I'm doing it on my own strength. That is legalism. That is attaining righteousness or salvation by my own effort and my own strength, independent of the power of God. Christ Subject lesson, Lessons uh, 3.30. <clears throat> Never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. What is the standard of righteousness? Yeah, it's the character of God, it's the law. That's the standard. So never should we lower the standard, that means the law, to accommodate our inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. I can't overcome this sin, therefore it is impossible for me to overcome sin, therefore the law must not mean that, therefore let me continue in my wrongdoing. That is lowering the standard, that is legalism. We need to understand that imperfection of character is... That's right. We strive to perfect our character to be like Christ. That is, that is hard stuff. All right. <clears throat> okay, let's, let's continue. Now, now I want to explain this idea because I, I told you that perfection is not something that you necessarily attain. Okay? And we'll start with a parable that Jesus gave in Mark 4, 26 to 29. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring up and grow and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringing forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. All right, so what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about growing in Christ, and he's talking about righteousness by faith. In fact, he's talking about perfection of character. And let me explain to you why. <clears throat> um, first, we read that the man who sowed the seed doesn't know what makes the, person, the, the seed grow. The same way that when God puts his righteousness and puts his word in us, there's growth. 
but we can't explain how because that's the power of God. But we see that it is growing. In the same way we grow stage by stage. And so <clears throat> it talks about first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn. Now, when the corn is full, what does the man do? Yeah, he harvests, right? Because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for that corn. That corn is once we attain the Christ-likeness of Jesus. When we have perfection of character, we're just like Jesus. Sickle, it's the harvest, it's the end time. Now, <clears throat> when the seed is planted in the earth, because the seed is not a full corn, is that seed imperfect? Because remember, the fullness of the whole thing is the full corn. When it's fully grown, that the fruit is there. That's the, that's the perfection of it. But when it's only a seed, does it mean that it's imperfect? That's right. It's perfect as a seed. The seed can only be a seed. It cannot be anything else but what it is. And as long as it's living to its full potential as a seed, it's perfect. When it springs and you only have like a shoot, is that shoot imperfect because it's not yet a full corn? No, because it's living to the fullness of its shoot, of its growth, and so on and so forth. Now, let's apply this to our spiritual life. When a baby, uh, a baby Christian, okay, just got baptized and just come to the church and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, his, uh, his dress is not up to par, his diet is lacking, he's still hooked up on entertainment and all these things. But he doesn't know any better, he hasn't gotten in this light. Is this baby Christian imperfect? No, not if he lives up to the truth that he has. Okay, so if all you know regarding the health message is you should not eat unclean food, right? And you do that. Right? That's all the light you do. Well, you're perfect. You're living up to the light you have. You can't live up to something you don't know and don't understand. So God looks at you and, well, your character is perfect. But you need to attain Christ-likeness. So let me give you new light. Let me talk to you about the health reform. Let me tell you that you need to have a plant-based diet. Ooh. Okay, all right. Um, that's a little more difficult and but yeah okay so now I'm living up to that I've, I've become a vegetarian right so I've, I've I've cut off all meat so God looks at me well you're you're perfect you're living up to the to the all the light you have and then you start realizing oh yeah but uh, uh, all those byproduct dairies and cheese and all that oh, I have to cut that down too because because I have to go back to the diet of Eden right things like that and so you keep you keep living and you keep getting new truth. And every time you get a new truth and a new light, as long as you live up to it, perfect. Character perfection. That's why it's by stage. That's why when, when you come and you're, you know, this, this beautiful young lady is wearing miniskirt in the church, she's not lost because she doesn't know that she's immodest dressly. Uh, she's immodestly dressed, right? But when the truth comes to her, if she would refuse that truth, then she falls short of the standard of perfection. When she repents, say, yes, you're right, I'm making boys fall and that's not nice, I, I should be a, 
a help for them to help them grow in righteousness and I'm going to cover my body just so that I can be a good example and I can be a real sister in Christ, then she's living up to perfection of character. I might be giving some pretty rough example, but, you know, it's truth. That's correct. That's why there's some people in heaven that never heard of Jesus. There's some people that will be in heaven that never heard of Jesus because they didn't have the light of Jesus. You know, there are people that are going to be in heaven that never heard, that never knew about the Sabbath. But they didn't know about it. They didn't get the light, right? These sins were in ignorance. We've talked about this earlier. They didn't know about it, and they had no possibility of knowing. God winks at that, and God doesn't hold them accountable because where no law is, there is no sin. All right? Amen? So things are starting to kind of like make sense now? Right? It's falling into place? All right. <clears throat> Look, let's, yes. Yes, you do. <clears throat> and that's why also the Bible tells us not let, let, not let many of you be masters knowing that your condemnation will be greater. Okay, so the idea is, yes, <clears throat> first of all, let me, let me put this out there and you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, you know, growing in the church means nothing. You know, I was born in an Adventist family. Okay, so I was not born in an Adventist family. What does that mean? That means nothing. Okay, just, you had better surrounding. That doesn't make you Adventist. That doesn't make you a Christian. That's, that doesn't do anything, right? Your parents can be the, you know, Ted Wilson, your parent can be, your father can be Ted Wilson, doesn't mean anything. You can be the greatest atheist in the world. Yes, you have a lot of light to live up to. And God gives you the power to do it. So yes, the more you know, the more you have to live up to. But great, because that means that God's power and grace can be even more powerful in you. Because that's the only way you can live up to what you know. Because God gives you power and gives you grace. So he's glorified when you attain victory after victory after victory because you witness to the whole world and you demonstrate to the whole world that God is more powerful than the ruler of darkness of this earth. So yes, you have more to live up to and yes, you, you have uh, more responsibility because you've known more. And that's why it's important to worry about what we know more than to worry about what we don't know. Right? Some people, they read their Bible and, I just want to find something cool and fancy. and like, Just worry about what you know and live up to that. And God, in due time, will reveal new things to you. So, <clears throat> uh, very good comment. I guess they're not all going to hear. But, uh, uh, yeah, she was talking about uh, heart hardening uh, when we hear the truth. That's why it's important as we hear truth is to make up our mind right away on it. Because the moment we hear truth, there's something else that comes with it. It's called conviction. And when conviction comes, that's when we make a decision to follow the conviction or to ignore the conviction. Now, you can be convicted about something and, well, I'm not sure. Let me go find out. You know, somebody tells you something, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You got to go find out. But when you read something, it's scripture, it's spirit of prophecy, and there's no doubt about it. Don't procrastinate. Because that's when, like she said, you harden your heart. And that's a problem, I believe, uh, like she was also explaining, when you're born in an Adventist church, is you hear all these things, but they become meaningless after a while. Because you're just, yeah, yeah, I keep, I keep hearing that, I keep hearing that, I keep hearing that. But if you don't do anything about it, then it's, 
it's meaningless and it's, it's just, it, it's making you weigh in the balance, right? Okay, uh, let's go back. Uh, at every, uh, this is object lesson 65, at every stage of development our life may be perfect. Okay, this is what I was trying to explain. Yet if, God's, it, yet if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual advancement. Right? So even when we get to heaven, we're going to start learning new things about God. So it's not like we're going to attain and life is great and we know everything. And No, there's continual advancement, especially in this life. And you, you, you look at Jesus, right? We have a long way to go which is beautiful because you know, we're not going to get bored, <laughs> if you will. Right? We're going to continually grow. Uh, and that's why the, the, the biblical understanding of perfection is different than the understanding of the world and the secular world that of, often creeps in the church. Right? It's um, I, I explain it. a stage of development. You learn this. Okay, you have attained perfection as much as you know, this level, right? Then you learn something else, then you live up to that level, then you live up to the other level, and then you go on and on and on, unto perfection. Christ Object Lesson 69. Christ, and this is like, boom. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of Himself in His church. You heard that? When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. You think you're waiting for Jesus to come back? Jesus is waiting for us to get our acts straight. Jesus is waiting for us to live righteously. Jesus is waiting for us to have his character so that when he sees us and the angel sees us, they're going to go, look, Jesus, they're like you. We want to hang out with them then Jesus is going to come, right? We're not waiting for Jesus. Jesus is not waiting for all these disasters to happen in the world, for all the world. He's waiting for us to get his character. And so for those people that claim that we can't have the character of Christ because we can't be perfect and we can't obey, Jesus will never come. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the 1888 message. It's the first time that righteousness by faith was preached powerfully. And people at the, at, the, at the conference were, whoa, these guys that are preaching this message, it's a little too strong, and I don't think this is right. And, and it was not accepted, and it was not uh, believed as it should have been. And because people rejected it, well, they didn't live up to the righteousness of God. And they didn't live up to the character of God. And that's why we're still here today. Because if they would have understood the message and accepted it and lived up to it, they could have hastened the coming of the Lord. And instead, we've been delaying it. <clears throat> Perfection of character is possible. Perfection is the goal of sanctification. That's why every day. Perfection means to continually live up to the should be light uh, we have received. Perfection is by stages and involves continual growth. And a perfect character, which is righteousness, is the only way to go to heaven. Just so you know, it's the only way. Uh, we have some, next session is in 35 minutes? 4.30? Okay, so we have 20 minutes. Uh, <clears throat> so let's talk about section 9. Character. 
Uh, I know uh, uh, Brother Zita talks a little bit about it this morning, but I, I want to get you some things out there because I think it's really important. Uh, <clears throat> there's, a par well, there's a passage in Matthew 7, 16, 20, where Jesus says that you shall know them by their fruits, right? You know a fruit tree when you see uh, the fruit that it bears, whether it's an apple or if it's a banana tree or even if, you know, you can see the shape, but the fruit really, really help. Because, uh, you know, I go to the Philippines and I, I see all these trees and I don't know what they are. But when I see the bananas, I know it's a banana tree. And when I see, uh, uh, not a pumpkin, but <laughs> uh, I see other fruits, I know what they are, right? Because pumpkin grows in the ground, right? <laughs> but I wouldn't know the difference between the pumpkin and the watermelon un unless I see the fruit. There you go. See? I, thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> you shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Of course not. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruit you shall know them. The fruit that we're trying to have, is, yes, the fruit of the Spirit, but it's righteousness. We need righteousness, otherwise we'll be hewn down. And righteousness is wrought in our character. The formation of character is the work of a lifetime because we have all these little things that we need to correct, right? And God is giving us a lifetime to get it right. Thank God. Because if we only had a week, it'd be really a horrible time. Um, okay, so it is the work of a lifetime and it is for eternity. Very important. If all could realize this, if they would awake to the thought that we are individually deciding our own destiny for eternal life or eternal ruin, what a change would take place. How differently would this probationary time be occupied and what different characters would fill our world. Now is the time that you are developing your character. She goes on saying, ever the soul is to be subject to its control, uh, speaking of... Uh, uh, our human eyes and our human ears and everything that goes in. Uh, ever the soul is to be subject to its control. Upon thought, word, and deed, it is to stamp its divine impress. Oh, sorry, that's talking about the Word of God. So the Word of God, uh, okay, let's do it right. We'll read it through. The Word of God should be our counselor in all difficulties, our guides in all relations of life. In the heart, the home, the place of business, the living oracles of God should reign supreme. Wish we would have put the school there. Um, but it, it includes it. When alone, when no human eyes see, no human ears hears, the truth is to be our companion. Ever the soul is to be subject to its control. That's the word of God. Upon thought, word, and deed, it is to stamp its divine impress. So everything we do, say, and think should be according to the word of God. To those who obey, the word of God is the tree of life. It possesses the elements necessary for the formation of a perfect character and on the effect which its teaching produces in us depends our destiny for eternity. The Word of God is supposed to be what constitutes your character. Uh, <clears throat> our Father Cares 3.14 Our thoughts and purposes are the secret springs of action and hence determine the character. Our thoughts will eventually determine our character. We sp spoke of that this morning. Remember? 
Brother Zita talked about it. The purpose formed in the heart need to be expressed in word or deed in order to make it sin and bring the soul into condemnation. So if you have wrong thoughts, it will eventually become sin. Every thought, feeling, and inclination, though unseen by man, is discerned by the eye of God. But it is only when the evil that has taken root in the heart reaches its fruition in the unlawful word or deed that man can judge the character of his fellow man. The Christian is Christ's representative. He is to show to the world the transforming power of divine grace. He is a living epistle of the truth of God known and read of all men. So the man that does not have grace, that does not depend on God, that does not have the power to subdue and to keep under control his thoughts will eventually come through in words and deeds. And that will form his character. The man that is under the power of grace uh, will be transformed and will have power to overcome evil thoughts and evil feelings and evil inclination and will be able to perform righteous deeds and words. Uh, <clears throat> our thoughts and purposes are the secret springs of action and ends determine the character. Every thought, feeling, and inclination, though unseen by men, is discerned by the eyes of God. With what care, then, should we examine our hearts in the light of divine law and compare ourselves with the one faultless pattern that no defect may be found upon us in the day of God? We cannot afford to make a mistake in a matter in which eternal interests are involved. Everything we do has an impact. The doing is not, that's uh, Bible Commentary, Volume 6, 1058. The doing is not in accordance with the feeling or the inclination, but with the known will of our Father, which is in heaven. Follow and obey the leadings of the Holy Spirit. That's how we ought to live. Not because of our inclination, not because of our feeling, but because of what the Word of God tells us to do. That's the proper way to live. That's how we develop proper character. Now this is super important. The characters formed in this life will determine the future destiny. When Christ shall come, he will not change the character of any individual. If your character is not up to par when Jesus comes, that's the character you have. Jesus will not make up for your character deficiencies when he comes. That is why it is now that we have to work on it, before he comes. That's why we're in the time of probation. Because when probation closes, and probation closes before Jesus comes, that's it for us. That's the character we have. That's why there's no time to waste. To remove the stains of sin requires the work of a lifetime. Every day renewed effort in restraining and denying self are needed. Every day there are new battles to fight and victories to be gained. Every day the soul should be called out in earnest pleading with God for the mighty victories of the cross. That's from Testimony of the Church, Volume 9, 429. No, I understand what you're saying, and I'm trying to think. I'll get back to you on that one. Uh, but it's a great question, and I will, we'll get there. Um, okay, last slide. Character does not come by chance. It is not determined by one outburst of temper, one step in the wrong direction. Okay? So it doesn't mean because you fall once, that's it, you're finished, your character is set. Remember, it's habit. When you keep on doing that sin, two, three, four, and then you don't even think about it, and you're just doing it. That's a habit. That becomes your character. 
But if you're, you're walking straight and, and, and suddenly, you know, you're, you, you see this woman, she's in modestly dressed, and, and it's like, oh, I just lost it. Okay? That doesn't mean that you're sinning and you're dead and your character is set. But it, doesn't, it does remind you of the power of God, that you, that you need the power of God. It is the, repet the repetition of the act that causes it to become a habit. So, let's go back to that lady. Oh, and I keep looking, and I keep looking, and I keep looking. Well, that, you, you get what I'm saying. Repetitive becomes a habit. Um, repetition of the act that causes it to become a habit and molds the character either for good or for evil. Do you think my example was going to be for good or for evil? If I keep looking at that lady, that's, yeah, that's for evil. Okay, we all got that. All right. Right characters can be formed only by persevering, untiring effort, by improving every entrusted talent and capability to the glory of God. Instead of doing this, many allow themselves to drift wherever impulse or circumstances may carry them. This is not because they are lacking in good material, but because they do not realize that in their youth, God wants them to do their very best. Okay, not better, best. And the best is what? Is Christ-likeness. Fortunately, we ran out of time. But the point of this, this whole thing, what I, what I was hoping to get across today, um, <clears throat> is that first, that righteousness by faith is an extremely important doctrine that uh, permeates everything we believe in. If it's kind of like the glue that keeps everything together. We've talked about law, faith, you know, the second coming, hell, uh, everything. It is so important that we understand this topic. Unfortunately, this topic is not well presented in many places. And that's fine, because at the end of the day, um, it's your responsibility to make sure that you go study and you go research and you go read and that you do what you learn. Whatever I've shared today will be meaningless tomorrow because you will never remember everything that I've just taught you. You will never remember everything that the Bible, not me, but that the Bible taught you. You will need to go back and review and search and learn, and then you'll go to teaching it, and you'll keep doing that over and over and over because there are still nuances that we haven't been able to talk about. Like we haven't covered nature, nature of man, the nature of Christ. We've talked a little bit about some things, but we have not went in great depth, and I wish we would have had time. We haven't even talked about the 144,000. Okay, if you go read their, their description, same description as Jesus. No guile in their mouth, and they're uh, blameless before the throne of God. Same description as Jesus in 2 Peter 1.21. So there's a lot of things you need to keep studying about. And you're going to discover that righteousness by faith, as I was trying to, to tell you, it's not just a theory, it's not just a concept, it's not just theology, it's not just an idea, it's something to live by. It's a lifestyle. It's the way of righteousness, right? And so understand the power that's available to you. Understand that God wants you to have that and then act upon it. Do what is right. Do what is righteous. Amen? Amen. So and if you have any questions, you can, you can come talk to me. I know I still have some questions to answer. And... Uh, Try to do our best to, you know, go look at some, yeah, you can go and, and listen to other people out there. That's fine. You don't just have to listen to me, but always go back to your Bible. In fact, start from your Bible. Go to the spirit of prophecy. 
understand, look as much as you can to get everything. And I can't stop insisting on that because there are people out there that literally miss the mark when it comes to that. Okay? So please focus on what the Bible has to say. Let's all have a word of prayer and then uh, you can be on a break and the next session will start in about uh, 20 minutes. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful for this time that we again were able to study. We've concluded our, our series on righteousness by faith. And Lord, there is so much to absorb, so much to understand, so much to comprehend. It's a little difficult at this time, Lord. We have to be honest. But we know that through your Spirit, you can impress these truths upon us. You can also clarify the things that we're not able to explain properly, Lord, and the things that I might have missed. Lord, we, we just want to pray and ask that you... Um, let these truths be so well understood that it becomes second nature to us. That we can live by faith. That we can live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. That we may be obedient to you in all things, cheerfully. And that one day you can look upon us and see that our character is the character of Christ. So that Christ can one day come back and bring us that we can finally be with you and with him and with the host of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this important truth and, and this beautiful truth and this empowering truth. I pray, Lord, again, that if we've done anything wrong, either in our thoughts and our words and our deeds, that you will forgive us and cleanse us and that you will make us righteous like Jesus and that you will empower to continue to live righteously. Be with us for the rest of the day and for the rest of this weekend, and I pray all this. In so majestic and beautiful and righteous name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.